Father in heaven, the song has reminded us that there is a balm in Gilead. And we know that we need that. We need your healing balm. We need the Holy Spirit. And I need your help tonight. I don't know exactly what the people here need to hear or those that maybe listen to this later, but you do. I don't know how to say it, but you do. So I ask, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight through your word. Not because we're worthy, but because we're unworthy. Not, not because we have something to bring, but because you have something to bring. And we know that you, you love us. So bless us tonight, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, this conference is a important conference. I'm always thankful for WYC. <laughs> and I'm excited to see so many of the uh, young faces here. Not that I don't like more mature faces. <laughs> All of you are relatively young compared to what I've been reading about in Genesis 5. <laughs> so, um, but I I'm, I'm, I'm really am delighted to see uh, young people. I'm really delighted that people seem to like studying the Bible. There's just more and more people around the world that like studying the Bible. And that just means they, they, want, to, they want to hear the Holy Spirit because the Bible is the Holy Spirit. Uh, isn't that right? The words that I speak to you are spirit and their life, John 6, 63. All, all scripture is given by inspiration. It's... Holy Spirit in it. So it's wonderful to uh, see so many people that want to study the Bible and want to get in touch with the Holy Spirit. You know, they gave me this assignment to talk about the early rain some months ago. And then, you know, I, I, I was thinking to myself, I said, why are they asking me to talk about the early rain when the Adventist church at least according to the prophet Ellen White, actually had the start of the latter rain. Did you know that? The latter rain began to fall in the Adventist church. And then it stopped. Why didn't they ask me to talk about that? Well, I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. And then they asked me to talk about the cross tomorrow and the latter rain tonight. And I thought the cross happened, I mean the early rain tonight and the cross tomorrow. And I said, I thought that the, uh, the Lord died on the cross before the early rain. So I switched it. I hope I don't get fired. You know, the Holy Spirit is always a behind-the-scenes member of the Godhead. 
And there are quotation after quotation in the spirit of prophecy that point to the fact, here's one from Acts of the Apostles, the spirit is constantly seeking to draw the attention of men to the great offering that was made on the cross of Calvary. So if the Holy Spirit was preaching tonight, the Holy Spirit would be preaching about the cross. <laughs> Holy Spirit would not preach about himself, would preach about the cross. So as I looked at all this, I, I looked at it, I put together a PowerPoint, but then I realized I had to look back at these screens. I said, forget the PowerPoint. I'm just going to talk to you tonight about the Holy Spirit as it relates to the cross. And I'm praying that the Lord will bring the right points in the right way. The PowerPoints that we need tonight. You know, Jesus died on the cross and it looked like a complete failure. I am always gripped by this statement from the spirit of prophecy that says that when Jesus died on the cross, there was a sundering of the Trinitarian powers. So in other words, the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit were somehow sundered. A sundering. You know when you get married, it says... Minister always said, you know, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. But in this death on the cross, the Trinitarian powers were sundered. They were severed. Not only that, there were just a few scattered believers that remained. The disciples had denied him, then they deserted him. They were talking about a whole different career change. They were saying, I'm going to go back to fishing. And then two of them were walking along the road to a maze and said, you know, we used to have some hope, but we're depressed. We don't have any hope anymore. It was not looking good for the plan, that, a plan of salvation, really. I mean, there's a sundering of the Trinitarian powers. Does that look good? No. The disciples are, are denying the Lord and they're deserting. Does that look good? They're talking about, you know, well, I'm going to go fishing. Does that look good? And they're hopeless. Does not look good. And I don't mean to say this in a, any kind of sacrilegious way. And I'll just say it. Jesus needed help. He needed some help. What was he going to do? <laughs> Who was he going to turn to? What did he need? Well, that's the problem, but you know what he turned to? He turned to the prophetic plan of God. He turned back to that prophetic plan. Look at John chapter 10. We'll look at a number of scriptures tonight. They will not be on the screen. You may have to write them down. This is like so 1970s. <laughs> John 10. 
17 and 18, My Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So, the plan was, according to the commandment of who? The Father, that this death was not the end. He could lay down his life, and through his connection with the Father, the Father could bring it about that he be resurrected again. How many of you are thankful that the commandments are filled with hope? <laughs> the commandments are promises. This was a promise from the Father. How many think this, this was a hopeful promise? So, I don't know exactly how it happened, but that promise came into play. Christ was resurrected. Hallelujah for the resurrection. <laughs> if in this life we have hope only, we're of all men to be most pitied. But Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. John 20. Resurrected, and he then begins to reveal himself to people. And you remember the story here of Mary Magdalene. He's, she sees the risen Lord. Very interesting passage. Jesus is standing there, verse 14. And she did not know that it was Jesus, and Jesus turned to her and said, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him well, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary! <laughs> she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher, and Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. <laughs> Can you see that Jesus has confidence? He's acting on the commandment of God. He's resurrected, and now he's trying to inspire confidence. Why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? <laughs> I need to ascend. I need to ascend to my Father. The plan is now coming together. That sundering of the Trinitarian powers is now coming back together again. He says, i got to go see my Father and your Father. Two members of the Godhead are coming back together. This is looking hopeful, isn't it? And he's saying with a hope-filled voice, Mary, don't worry. It's going to come together. This is all based on that prophetic plan. How many are thankful for prophecy? <laughs> so what does he do when he gets up there? Psalm 24 tells us, 
what happens when he gets up there. You know, these psalms were written a thousand years beforehand, and you can trace all these things through the psalms. The psalms are the most quoted books in the New Testament. And uh, I love talking about the psalms, so I don't want to get started on it because we'll never get back. Psalm 24 starts out by talking about the fact he's the creator and the redeemer. And now he has played out this plan of redemption and pick it up in verse 7. He ascends to heaven and there's an antiphonal choir that answers one another and they're going to do something that's very important as you'll see. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king of, what does it say next? Glory shall come in. Who is this king of, what's it say? Glory. Remember that. Remember that word. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Now why is that so important? Why is that so important? Go back with me. I hope you don't mind. We're having a little Bible study tonight, okay? Let's go back now uh, to John chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 7. On the last day of the great feast, Jesus had gone down by the pool of Siloam, and there they had a special celebration that was part of the tradition, part of the ritual, where they would draw water, and that water would be drawn, and there'd be water and grape juice, and they'd draw that. This was the last day of the feast. And then he starts talking about the fact, well, let's look at it, John chapter 7. On the last day of that great day of the feast, verse 37, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Wow. That's kind of disruptive, right? But now he's declaring who he is. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. How many want those rivers of living water? But notice what it means. Verse 39, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. Whom those believing in him would what? Receive. Future tense. Those believing in him would receive what? The Spirit. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been what? But remember, now he's resurrected, he's gone to heaven. And Psalm 24 comes into play. And what did they just say? Glory, 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 glory. He's glorified. Can you say hallelujah? And now what's going to happen? God the Father, God the Son are united. And now there's the promise that the Holy Spirit's coming back into play. There was this sundering of the Trinitarian powers. They were not connected, but now they're reconnected. Glory. Glory, glory. Or we'd say, holy, holy, holy. 
Look at Psalm. Why was it? Why was it that they could get reconnected? Why was it they could come back together? Why was it? Psalm 45. Psalm 45. Oh, man, this is just a wonderful psalm. I mean, if I got tempted here, we'd go through all these psalms. I am so tempted about this. Notice how the psalmist starts out, verse 1. My heart is overflowing with a good thing. How many want your heart to overflow? <laughs> so what is this good thing? What I want you to read. In this psalm, there are two verses that are quoted in Hebrews, and they're applied to the ascended Christ. And here they are, verse 6 and 7. He's been glorified. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Verse 6, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than all your companions. There it is. There's that promise, and it's coming into play now. Remember it said, look, I'm going to have rivers of water coming out. Of my heart to you. And it's going to happen in the future, John 7 said. And then Psalm said, it gives us the reason why. Because he loved righteousness and he hated what? He hated lawlessness. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want the Holy Spirit? Do you see the prerequisites there? Need to what? Love righteousness and hate lawlessness. Now how does that happen? How can you get in your heart a love for righteousness, and a hate for lawlessness. Only by looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. Only by looking at the cross of Jesus Christ does any good thing happen. This is why the Holy Spirit's always pointing people to the cross of Christ. Always. I remember a story about James White. How many of you like James White? He's no longer living. But how many of you like the stories about James White? One time he was preaching, and these guys would preach. I mean, these people back then, they preached, okay? They, they went for it. And he was preaching, and they were preaching, telling people that Jesus was coming again. And the meeting he was preaching in, he was surrounded, and they began throwing icy snowballs through the windows, he thought that they were going to be killed because the horses and everyone surrounding where he's preaching. So guess what he did? He immediately started to preach about the cross. And he took out his hands like a cross. And the flickering flames of the fire took that image of a man. And then there was a huge image of the cross as a shadow behind him. He was standing in the shadow of a huge cross. And the people outside... They realized that this man was filled with the Holy Spirit. He, they realized that he was standing for the cross and they just couldn't tolerate it and they went away. They were convicted of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. I want to say that if you're struggling in your Christian walk, and I have struggled many times in my Christian walk, the thing that helps me the most and the biggest blessing is when I look at the cross when I study the cross, when I think about the cross. Amen? Amen. 
So what happened? Because he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, he was anointed with the oil of gladness. That's the Holy Spirit. More than all his brethren. And guess what? That's quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 again. It's applied to him. It's a sign that he's not only Christ, but he's God. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1 is the primary chapter if you're proving the divinity of Christ. But I want to read you something that really gripped my attention here. Based on this passage in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, and then also the other passage we just mentioned in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, where he said, water will come out of me, flow out of me like a river. And he said, this means the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Ellen White says about this. Now, this is where I wish I had something up in PowerPoint because this is a fairly long passage, which means you're going to have to pay attention. And if you're used to, like, um, you know, multitasking, I might lose you. So I might have the ushers come forward to watch you. <laughs> Listen up. This passage talks about the tabernacle. I'll just summarize part of it to try and make it shorter. It talks about the tabernacle. It talks about the cherubim of glory. It talks about the throne of God. It talks about underneath that throne, which is the ark, were the tables of the law. But then it says this. The law of God was in the heart of Christ, showing that his heart was the throne of God. So that when he hung on the cross... God's heart was pierced. And from that place where the law dwelt, there flowed a stream of life. Where did the stream of life come from? The law of God. Law and love was combining at that moment. This really gripped my attention. What's the connection between the Holy Spirit and the cross? It is this. When he died, there flowed out a stream. What was it? It was the pure river of the water of life flowing from the crucified one. And the stream that flows this very minute from the throne of God is just as real a stream as was the water and the blood that flowed from the heart of Christ. It is the life of God. So she's saying, look, something began to flow that had not flowed before, at least in this way, because of the cross. Whosoever will, come, let him take of the water of life from that flowing stream. The Spirit and the bride say, come. This is quoting Revelation 22, right? And let whom is a thirst come, and whoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Christ spoke this of the Spirit. Therefore that stream of life which flows from the throne of God, is simply the Spirit of God flowing out into all the world. The Spirit and life of God have therefore, are therefore flowing forth. How many of you are still with me? In other words, when Christ died on the cross, when He ascended the glory, He was glorified. Because He had loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, 
There was no doubt in the courts of heaven that he was the Christ. There was no doubt anywhere. And because of that, he was anointed with the oil of gladness more than all his brethren. And there began to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Jesus that he had never seen before. There was a reuniting. Remember I said he had a problem. And now that problem's being taken care of. The answer for Christ's problem was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now he has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's flowing out of him. It's flowing out of him. By the way, another statement for you. Remember that text? Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the pain. Remember that? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Notice how Ellen White applies that. If I can read my writing. (laughs) A portion of the joy which was set before Christ. Who for the joy that was set before him? A portion of the joy that was set before Christ was the joy of seeing his truth armed with the omnipotent power of of the Holy Spirit. He said, all right, I can go through this. I can go through this cross. I can go through this sundering. Because guess what? I realize, just like he had realized back in John 7, I realize if I go through it, there's going to be a colossal outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which has not been seen before. That was the joy set before him. How many can see that Jesus was really into the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit was really into him. He was anointed with the oil of gladness more than all his brethren because he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. He was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And then he hung on that tree and he became sin for you and me. And as a result of that, there was this coronation in heaven. Glory, glory, glory. And there was an outpouring on him of the Holy Spirit which had never been seen before in the history of the cosmos. Now, how do you think he felt about that? (laughs) Well, let's see what he did. You know what? This is how he felt about it, and then I'll show you. When you have something like the Holy Spirit whelming over you, you can't help but say, I need someone else to know about this. I need someone else to share in this. I need someone to understand The beauty of holiness. I need someone else to understand the glory, the joy. i got to tell somebody. Amen? That's exactly what he did. Now these gospel stories come alive. Look, Luke chapter 20, verse 20. He comes back down to the disciples, and what does he say? Look at my hands and look at my side. Why is he saying that? Because that's where the water and the blood flowed out. That's where the promise of John chapter 7 was being fulfilled. Look at my hands and look at my side. Why do you say look at my hands? Why do you say look at my hands? Because those nail points were there, but what was in those nail points? Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 4. Look at that with me briefly. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 4. All of these things that he's doing now, he's setting them up if they knew it, He's talking to them about this gift of the Holy Spirit. He can't wait to show them and reveal to them that now he's received the gift. They're not ready to receive it. 
They're not ready for it. But he's saying, man, i got to show you, I received the gift. Habakkuk chapter 3, are you, are you there yet? Verse 4. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, verse 3. And the earth was full of his praise. By the way, he had gone to the high mountain up there, hadn't he? <laughs> He'd gone to heaven. There's different mountains and different illusions, but notice this, verse 4. His brightness was like the light, and he had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Look at that. He had power in his hands. He had power in his heart. And when he said, look at my hands, Look at my side. It wasn't saying, oh, no, look at what happened. He was saying, look, I have the power now. The Holy Spirit is upon You understand what he's doing. They don't get it yet. In Luke chapter 24, in Luke chapter 24, notice he sees these two disappointed ones on the road to Emmaus. They're disappointed, it says in verse 13. He begins to, to minister to them a ministry of the word. He hides himself so that they will just come to know him on the basis of the word. He clears up their, their, their wrong thoughts. In verse 25, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart, not to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things? To enter into his what? Glory. Same thing again. These things had to happen because then he could get up there, glory, 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 and then the Holy Spirit could be poured out on me. And now he's saying, and I want it to be poured out on you. And of course, he gives them a Bible study. I wish I could have heard that Bible study in verse 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That was like a Holy Spirit study. And then they go, man, stay with us. And then they say, man, it's the Lord. They return to Jerusalem. They get there, and then he gets there as well. What's he do? Verse 38 and 39. Why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Handle me and see. You see what he's saying? He's saying, look, I have the marks that the Holy Spirit now has been poured out. And then he has a personal visit with Thomas. Personal visit with Thomas. He said, look, touch there, touch this. Do they get it yet? They don't understand. They don't understand this whole idea of the Holy Spirit. But he has received this gift. And now he wants to pass it on. Wow. Acts chapter 1. I find it so amazing that Jesus doesn't give up on those he loves. I mean, they deserted him when he died. How many of you would like give up on somebody if they deserted you when you died? I mean, of course, you might not know it. But if you did know it, would you give up on them? You would say, man, they left me when I'm dying. 
But the love of God doesn't do that. He like for 40 days, it says here in Acts chapter 1, he starts giving them Bible studies. <laughs> this has got to be the Holy Spirit, amen? And his love for them is still there. And he basically does a couple things here in Acts chapter 1. Number one, I want you to see this. Former account I made, O Theophilus, of what Jesus began both to do and teach. In other words, he's talking about Luke there, because that was the former account that Luke wrote. By the way, I'm going to drop this on you here. You know what Luke was? He was a physician. I kind of like this. Because now you have a minister and a physician working together. Amen? Amen. And they're working together here. And by the way, in Luke chapter, Luke all the way through it, it's always talking about all the healings all the way through. Former account I made with the is all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now we've learned about some of the things he taught, but what did he do? He healed, he healed, he healed. One of the largest signs of the Holy Spirit's presence was those healings. When you go through Luke's gospel, that's what brought people from all over the place. I want to be a part of a church that has a health message, that has a healing ministry. I want to see that ministry of physicians and ministers coming together again. Amen? So what's he say here? Verse 2. This account was written to Theophilus of what he began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Now notice what it says this. After he, through the what? Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So here he is working through who? Working through the who? To whom he presented himself alive after his suffering. That word suffering is pascha, or pascha, it's like the cross, after his cross, by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now what's he say? After all that, he says, look, you know, can you just see, can you just picture what Jesus is, he would love them probably to have the gift of the Holy Spirit right then, right? But he realizes they're not ready, so what does he say? Verse 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the what? The promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Had he already received the promise himself? But he said to them, you need to wait. Well, what is that promise? Verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what is the promise? The baptism of the what? It's not the water baptism, Luke 3, 3. It's the promised baptism that he had talked about back in Luke 
3.16. When the Holy Spirit comes, He'll baptize you with fire, with power. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been baptized through immersion? Lots of people have been baptized through immersion. In fact, in Acts, it talks about Simon the sorcerer, who was baptized by water. But he had none of the power of the Holy Spirit. Could it be possible here tonight that there could be someone here tonight, and I've been asking myself the same question, that's been baptized by the water, but not been baptized by the Spirit. Could that be possible? Could it be possible that someone here tonight may need to be rebaptized? Could that be possible? As we look at what baptism of the Spirit entails here, you may sense, as you look at it, you say, look, I don't have that experience. I don't have those key signs. And that's why we're having WYC, so we can search our hearts and seek for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that right or is that wrong? And by the way, where does the baptism of the Holy Spirit come from? John chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1. Where does it come from? Look at this. John chapter 1. Verse 29, John saw Jesus coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Can you say hallelujah? How is he going to do that? He's a lamb that's going to die to take away the sin of the world. That's the cross. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he is before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. John says, I'm just the water guy. I'm the water guy. I'm baptizing with water. That's what I do. They got a lot of pastors that are just water guys. I'm saying that as I thought about my own ministry. Am I just a water guy or am I a spirit guy? Are you just a water-baptized Christian, or are you a spirit-filled Christian? That's what I began thinking. Notice this. John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. Why a dove? Why a dove? You know, a dove was the, one of the cheapest offerings you could bring to the temple. It was an entry-level sacrifice. It was as if it was saying, look, I am, I'm going to work for the poor and everybody else. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and it says, what did it do? It remained on him. 
What did it do? It remained on him. How many of you want the Holy Spirit to come down and remain? I did not know him, verse 33, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the what? Who baptizes then with the Holy Spirit? Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So if you want the Holy Spirit, who do you turn to? And you turn to Jesus, the one who did what? Loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. And then he died for your sin. He died for anything you ever did wrong. He knows everything you've done wrong, and still he wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. If we learn anything tonight, he says, I wish you had the gift that came to me as a result of the cross. I wish you took up your cross and would follow me. Because as you take up your cross and follow me, that gift's also for you. Amen? Look at one question he cares up here. As soon as he's talking about the Holy Spirit, what do they say? Verse 6. Therefore, when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I mean, this is sounding very good. You've got all this stuff together. You've got this together. The Holy Spirit's coming. Everything's back together. Sounds like we're going to have the kingdom restored. Now, sometimes, now I, I say this kindly, and I say this with an intense passion for Bible prophecy and for the Adventist message and the prophetic Adventist message. I just love Bible prophecy. How many of you just love this? But these folks are asking about this culmination of, of Bible prophecy, and, and it's not wrong what they're saying. Will the kingdom be restored? Will God's kingdom be restored? Thy kingdom, thy will be done on and as it is in, is it going to happen? So this is not a wrong question, but notice how he answers it. And I think this is very key, because if we want to have the baptism of the Spirit, if we want to have the early rain, this is talking, by the way, about the what? Early rain. Jesus has ascended to heaven. Pretty soon in Acts chapter 2, what's going to happen? Holy Spirit's going to fall. But notice how he answers the question. Verse 7 and 8. It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Does that mean we shouldn't know Bible prophecy? Not necessarily. I think we should. In fact, there's many texts I can show you. Jesus, in fact, in Luke, it goes through, you know, they did not know the time of their visitation. Many times Luke talks about knowing Bible prophecy. This is not the point here. But here's the point that he makes. It's not for you to know times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the, what's it say next? In other words, he's saying, look, I'm going to give you a little practical answer to your question about times and seasons. And here it is. 
Don't talk to me about the culmination here. Be a part of the solution. Receive the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to use you all the way, everywhere, around the world. Now, how many of you think that's a good word for Seventh-day Adventists to hear? How many of you think, that? how many of you know someone that has all kinds of GYC badges? They got all kinds of seminar books. They have final events books. These are all great to have, but they're never out there witnessing for Jesus Christ. You see, the gift of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is something very deliberate. If you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, guess what you have? You have the gift and the power for witnessing. And if people are not coming to the Lord through your witness, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't know how to witness. You need the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to witness either. I need the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, his answer is very practical. Yes, it's going to go all the world. By the way, Acts chapter 3 says there will be those times of refreshing. And there will be a time of restoration, right? They say, that's not your deal, right? Right then. And then he leaves. He ascends. And he gives them 10 days. And what did they do during the 10 days? He had such, he had done such a good, by the way, does Jesus ask us to do something he wouldn't do himself? He had done intense around the clock, around the globe, well, not around the globe, around that particular area witnessing for 40 days. And I bet you he worked at night too. And he just worked and he worked. And the Holy Spirit was with him. And he convinced doubting Thomas. And he brought these people together. And because of his effective witness, what's it say in Acts chapter 1? The brothers of Jesus were actually there. The women were there. All these people were there that never got together, even for vacations. And they're all there. And they're all there because of the effective witness of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to bring our families back together. He wants to bring the brokenhearted back together. He wants to bring things back together that never happened before. And we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit if that's going to happen through us. You know, the last couple of days I was working with Dr. Nedley in this depression recovery program. And I heard so many terrible stories about broken homes, about broken lives. You know, I sat in there when I heard these things. It just made me cry. <laughs> Have you ever been just sitting there listening to someone and you just start to cry? And then it made me very scared. Those first visits, I came in and sat down, looking at you with trembling flesh and trembling eyes, and you can tell that they're hoping that something will happen. And they're hoping that something will change. And you know you have nothing to give them unless the Holy Spirit helps you. You have nothing. There I am, you know, I'm saying, man, what's going ha- to have to happen? I'm saying, Lord, please. And in those first visits, I'm saying, look, how can I inspire hope and confidence? Then after the visit, I'm saying, why did I inspire hope 
and confidence when I don't know what to do. But God knows what to do. You know, that program's just 10 days. This time in the upper room was just 10 days. And it was amazing for me to see what people, what happened in people's lives. It was amazing. I decided in this, I said, look, all I want to do is show them a passage from Scripture. I don't want to say too much. I'm going to give them the Scripture because that's the Holy Spirit. Lord, help me give them the right chapter. Help me give them the right verse. And praise God. You should have seen what happened in people's lives. The Holy Spirit began ministering to them. You know, after the visits, I got so excited. You know what I'd do? I'd write down what happened. I was like, whoa, look at that. Look at how the Holy Spirit used that. It's exciting to see how the Holy Spirit can be poured out. I need more of that. How many of you need more of that? You never see it unless, unless you're involved in witness. you got to go out there. you got to step out in, in faith. You've got to say, God, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Help me know what to say. Help me know what not to say, at least in my case. <laughs> One guy came to me, and I go, man, you know, it's 10 days. It's like day seven. He's going to me, nothing's working. I don't know if I could go back. He's crying out, and I'm going, oh, let's pray. <laughs> I said, I, let's just ask God, please. I was overjoyed. I was overjoyed on day eight, nine. I'm sitting there and he goes, it's coming together. I've never felt this good in my life. God has changed something. And I was saying stuff like, dip yourself in more hydro. You know, Naaman went down seven times, you know. <laughs> You know, I was thinking that. I didn't say that, but I was just, oh, God, please do something. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't joking at all, but I was just going, what, what's going to work? I don't know. But God knew. It was the book of Philippians for him. I gave him the book of Philippians. And something in the book of Philippians just changed his mind. The Bible is a Holy Spirit manual. We need to come in touch with it. We need to know it. But then we got to know we don't know. There are some scriptures you show people at a certain time. There are other scriptures you don't. Isn't that what Jesus did? This is not the times and seasons. You don't need to know that. You don't need to know that at a certain point, but they didn't need to know that. They needed to know something else. Who is sufficient for these things? We need the Holy Spirit. Are you beginning to see the signs of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's related to the power in witnessing. Power in witnessing. Peter had left, and he was a pansy, but then he turned into a powerful preacher through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? People that were doubting became determined. Unity came during that 10 days. Prayer came in that 10 days. And another thing that we don't usually point out in Luke chapter 24, it says they went to the temple and they praised and they rejoiced. <laughs> Sometimes we think, oh, I don't have the spirit. I'm better than I. 
Sometimes the thing that changes our lives is praising God on the basis of His promises. It's amazing to me what happens just when we sing hymns. <laughs> just hymns. And then we look up the scriptures of those hymns. Those things can change our lives. They're not just hymns. They're from Him. Amen? <laughs> I know, that's not really... But you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> and you know what would it take... We come to these conferences. We come to this tent. Some of us will go to another place next week. We'll go to the army. We'll go to this. We go to that. We go to the other place. We got miles on our cars and dollars on our credit cards, but nothing happens unless, unless what? We sincerely begin seeking. The gift he wants to give. And we say, whatever you want to do, whoever you want to bring me back in relationship with where I'm estranged, whatever you want to do. Some of us are so busy traveling around that nobody could get in touch with us to take care of any problem. Where are you headed? Well, I'm off to this camp. Maybe the next 10 days... You know, it's amazing what can happen in 10 days. I just came out of a 10-day program where all of us locked ourselves in one building right over there in the end. 10 days. And when you give yourself that time-limited thing, you know what? That focus comes. I love it. I'm fearful every single time, but when we get locked in there, we eat together, we pray together, we praise together, we do all these things together, and then you like have a sermon, and then you can do the visitation right there. It's just like doctors working together, and uh, pastors working together, and everybody's working together. People are rubbing people in one room, people are dipping people in another room, people are praying for them in the other, and others are rejoicing, and others are, oh, it's all happening right in the same building. And it's like the building just shakes. Mm. I'm serious. And the Holy Spirit works in that environment. Ten days, that's all it would have taken to get from the wilderness, or from Egypt to Canaan. Just 10 days, but it took him 40 years. 10 days? That's all it took for Daniel to show the character of Christ in Daniel chapter 1. 10 days. That's all they had in the upper room. 10 days. 10 days. What if you made a commitment tonight to say, you know what? These next 10 days, God, I'm open to whatever you want to do. Amen? When they took the 10 days, what happened? The Holy Spirit came, Acts chapter 2. Pentecost came. The Spirit came right on time. And people from around the world were reached. 
Prophecy was fulfilled. Joel 2 came into play. And they had power to witness. And there was proof that they had the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Why is this tent so empty? Why is it that our churches are not overflowing? We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Someone says to me, I want to build a big church. That's a rebuke. Ministry of Healing, page 17, says when Jesus was ministering, there was not a church large enough to hold the crowds that came. He was baptized with the Spirit. How many of you think we need to get to the place where no building's going to handle it? I want power in my life. How many of you want power? Power to preach. That happened in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Power to heal. Acts chapter 3. Power to pray. Acts chapter 4. Power to be pure. Acts chapter 5. Power to die with confidence. Acts chapter 6. Power to travel. Philip could just go from here to there. How many want that kind of power to travel? Power to speak a language you don't know for the cause of the gospel. Power. Remember this one lady? She wanted to start orphanages. She knew no language. She would go to these different countries. She'd show up. She'd talk to people. Things would get done. And she didn't even know what she was saying. They didn't either. But God wanted to take care of those orphans. <laughs> That's what happens. Power to, over, power to raise the dead. Acts chapter 9. Power to overcome prejudice. Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts shows all the power that came out of that 10 days. How many of you are interested in anything on that list? And how many of you have seen what happened? How did it happen? It was because Jesus took up his cross. And when he took up his cross, the Holy Spirit was poured out on him. And then those disciples took up their cross. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And I believe if we take up our cross, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on us. Do you believe it's true? There shall be showers of blessings. This is the promise of God. There shall be seasons of refreshing sent from the Father above. Showers of blessings. Showers of blessings. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers we plead. Last text and we'll close. Hebrews 2, 1 and 2. After painting this picture of Jesus, who loved righteousness, hated lawlessness, after showing that he was anointed with the oil of gladness more than all his brethren, then it says what happened. It summarizes the whole book of Acts verse 4, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Man, how many of you wish that was a picture of our church today? Signs, 
wonders, miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His will. And here's the appeal. Verse 1. Therefore, we must give more earnest heed. More what? Earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, did it prove steadfast? Did Jesus receive the Holy Spirit? Was he raised from the dead? Did these miracles happen? Is this Bible true? If the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, did he die on the cross for all your sins, for everything? Did it receive a just reward in his death? If that happened, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard it? How shall we neglect so great a salvation? Do you need to be baptized? Maybe it's through the water. Maybe it's through the Spirit. But don't just leave WYC with a plastic lantern and a name tag. Leave it with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, I need this message in my own heart. Desperately need your Holy Spirit power. And as we close tonight, I, I sense that others here as well sense their need of that Spirit. And maybe tomorrow, maybe tonight, Maybe tonight as we close, maybe tonight we should just band together in prayer. We, maybe we just don't know what to do or how to do it, but maybe we just need to plead with God to, to bring us power for witness. And maybe that witness will not just be for someone else. Maybe that witness will actually reach our hearts. I pray it will happen in my life and in the lives of those who are hearing this message tonight. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you for that early rain. We need it. And we want it. And we come in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.